In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jake Johnson, and this is Untethered on a Monday Night Bible study. How you doing? How are things in the real world? What's going on? Are you happy? Are you feeling good? Do you feel like you're getting things accomplished? That's what I want to know. How does the world treat you when you're down and out? Or when you're, you know, getting it done? That's what I want to know. Anyway, this is Bible study, and we're in the book of Exodus. And what we're going to do tonight, we are going to recap what we learned last night, talk about some similarities for of, of some other stories, see if we can't draw a parallel between two events more than 2,000 years apart and see if they line up exactly. And if they do, it's just more proof. It's just more evidence that everything you're reading, everything you're in, you're understanding, everything that you're consuming from this age-old book is absolutely 100% true. I'll drink to that. Mm. Okay. I'll have you know that just before I went live, the layout of my system went wacky. And I see my face real big in the monitor, but I'm looking at YouTube and it looks right. So it's only on my end. So if I seem perplexed, it's because I'm trying to not look at myself in the one eye and see. Anyway, <laughs> bit of a rush. I was installing a new bed into my bedroom and uh, got a little carried away. And it was like 820 when I realized, oh, it's time to go. I got to get in here and get to work. So I rushed in here and set everything up and da 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 So if I forgot anything, I'll fix it on the fly. That's all right. I got a new bed. It's given to me this afternoon by a good friend of mine. And I, it's a very nice bed. Very big, very nice bed. I am absolutely looking forward to sleeping in it tonight. However, I may not have any sheets that can fit that bed. I don't know. That's a problem. I may have to go buy some sheets. Because I might not have any that fit that big old bed that I got. But it's brand new. Nothing wrong with it. Very nice. No bed bugs or nothing like that. I just didn't have any room for it. So it was as simple as that. And uh, I said, I'll gladly take it. Bring it over to my house. I got a place to put it. Anything else you want to get rid of too? Because I am a one man's trash, another man's treasure, firm believer. I do believe that statement wholeheartedly because the world is hard enough to survive in without 
having friends. And if you can manage to incur some friends, incur some friends, you've done a good thing with yourself. And uh, it's very nice to have. And friends give favor. And favor can change your life. Let me promise you this right now. What one person thinks of you can change your life. If that person is in a position higher than you, or if that person has more money than you, or if that person is more powerful than you, or if that person is more politically uh connected than you if that person likes you they will bring you right along with them into their world and improve yours don't ever act like you're too proud or feel too proud to understand that if a person has fortune and happens to be your friend and wants to give some of that fortune to you don't ever feel like that's a bad thing because it's not First of all, your friend is your friend and wants you to do better, which is why you're doing better or, or why he wants to do, you know, give you stuff or give you a leg up or whatever. He's your friend. That's what friends do. He or she or whatever. Anyway, you get the point. It's very important to have those kind of connections in the world. And a friend can literally be the difference between you being an absolute nobody and you knowing the right person to get your foot in the door on something you're trying to do. You know what I'm saying? That's a very good lesson to learn in life. I used to think I'd had to go it alone, that I, I didn't need nobody. I'm tough enough. I can face the world on my own. No, you can't. No, you can't. And above all, if you have nobody else, you absolutely need Jesus Christ. He put all this in motion. He put it all together so that we could survive and have a better life than the one we're currently leading. And I can assure you that he did that because he loved us. And uh, there wasn't nobody else going to do it. And we weren't capable of it. This whole thing about being in the um, confines of the Heavenly Father, the whole idea is that we can't get into heaven by ourselves. That's why we were given this opportunity by Jesus to get into heaven because otherwise we'd be out here in the dark, in the lonely void, alone, without any chance of survival. That's why all this happened. That's why everything that's in this book is in this book. I think it's necessary. Oh, I finally fixed it. Well, mm, I did something. I don't know if I fixed it or not. It's kind of wonky. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. I don't know what happened. Just things went eh in different directions. And now nothing fits where it's supposed to go and everything's in the wrong place. I'm looking all over the place trying to figure out what I'm doing here. <sighs> Aggravating. 
I apologize. I'm preoccupied with this. I wish I could show you what I'm doing here. All right. My software has a bunch of little sections down at the bottom, and each section does a different thing. Like over here's all my scenes, and over here's all my uh, feeds, and over here's my sound, my audio, and over here's my control panel. They're each individual little windows, and they're you're supposed to be able to move them and snap them, but the snap and movie thing doesn't work very well in OBS. So one of them moved, and I can't get it to go back, and it's thrown everything else off because it's, you know, in proportion or out of proportion. So some things I can't see that I need to see. I'm just going to deal with it later. I have to, mister. All right, that's good enough for now. Okay, we are in the great book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 18. That's where we left off last night, just before leaving Egypt. We've got all the, we've got nine of the ten plagues down. The ninth plague, incidentally, is one of the plagues that is an attack on Egyptian gods. All of them are. All of them have allegory to each individual Egyptian god that they have. There's ten Egyptian gods. There's ten plagues. And these are attacks on all those gods. But more specifically, they are to teach the Israelites and the Egyptians who God is, not these little peony gods that they worship, but the real God. And he has done a masterful job at... Uh, lowering the status of Pharaoh to a uh, little boy. He slapped him down quite well. And it's time for the last plague, which is the hardest. And it's also an allegory because, you see, Pharaoh is not just a king. To the Egyptians, he is a god king, meaning that he has the spirit of the highest Egyptian god, which is that little snake that comes out of his crown that's symbolic of that. So how this works is the God King will reign and then he will have an heir and his firstborn when he dies will take his place. His firstborn son, his first begotten son will become God. He's the son of God and will become God in Egypt according to the way they think. And uh, that's the reason for the killing of the firstborn of every living thing in Egypt as the last plague and the most devastating. They literally killed the son of God, quote, unquote, lowercase g, after three days of darkness. And then the Egyptians, I mean, the Israelites will go into the wilderness for three days and then make a great sacrifice, a sacrifice that they don't actually know what's going to be required of them yet. It's an unknown sacrifice. All they know is that God told them to go for three days into the wilderness and that there was going to be a big sacrifice required at the end of those three days, and that everybody had to go, so that everyone would witness this allegory of a three-day journey into darkness, and then the sacrifice and the resurrection as being passed through the waters, just like being born of the waters, not born again, born of man. That's what uh, the Bible requires you to do, but wants to be born through the waters, the water of the womb, the water of the Red Sea, and the Israelites will part through it. 
go through it to the other side. And then the Egyptians will come a running behind them to catch them. And, and then there's that empty void and the two walls of water almost beckoning that Pharaoh. Come on in. I got something for you. There won't be any resurrection this time, though. Because he's going to come out with his dead son in his arms and he's going uh, to ask Moses, can you get God to undo this, please? And he's going to say, God undid it nine times for you. And every time you disobeyed, this time there won't be a resurrection. So the son of God won't resurrect on the third day. It's not going to happen. In fact, you're going to lose everything on the third day. That's what that great sacrifice is all about, the abomination of Egypt. And that's what we went through last night. And tonight, we're going to draw an allegory, a direct straight line from this day to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I said it last night, but I didn't draw attention to it. This is April, and God said that this will be the first month of the year for you. This is the month of Nisan, by the way, in the Greek Nisan. <laughs> Excuse me. And that is the month of April. And on the 14th day of that month, there's a spring equinox that occurs every year. And at sundown on the 14th day begins the Passover because that's the moment that this thing is supposed to happen. Now, what did God tell him to do? He said, get your clothes on, get your shoes on, put your staff in your hand, go out and kill a goat or a sheep and bring it in and cook it and eat it as fast as you can and be ready. But before you eat, take the blood from that lamb and go outside and strike your doorpost. The word strike is the same word. It translates to the word mark or sign. And in Hebrew, as we went through Genesis 1-1, that is a tov, which is symbolic of two marks. When you make a deal, you mark your mark and your other guy makes his mark and your deal is done. That's also symbolic of the cross. So they painted crosses on their door, on the lintel and on both doorposts. That's one, two, three, three. That's the number of man multiplied, right? So six is the number of man, six, 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 symbolic of the uh, uh, the, the Hebrew letter yod i believe that's what it is yod the nail symbolic of the nail the number of man three of those held christ to the cross and three of those are over the doorposts on passover where the angel of god comes into the town and kills every firstborn of every living thing except for people who are in those houses that are marked in that way in the darkness that was the first Passover. That's also 2,000 years later, the exact same day was when Christ was crucified on April 14th, Passover. Remember, they, had to, they were going to break his legs so that he would hurry up and die, and they discovered him dead because he hadn't, he hadn't been up there but about six hours, and it was getting dark. And at Passover, you can't touch anything dead. That would make everybody bad, mad. So... <sighs> Sorry about that. I'm out of breath. I've been working my tail off and I'm all jazzed up trying to get all these into words, all these random thoughts that I've got going on here. But there is a direct allegory from this story to the crucifixion is why I'm trying to put it all together at the last minute without thinking it through. So here you go. 
Hey, Alpine Gulch, and hey, Diego, what's happening, y'all? Welcome to the show. I'm uh, experiencing brain freeze here and going Looney Tunes trying to get all this information to come out of my mouth in a coherent sentence. <laughs> so, Christ was crucified on the 14th of April, Nisan, which is the first day of the year for the Hebrew people. It's not our first day of the year. It's their first day of the year. He was in the tomb for three days, like the three days of darkness that was experienced by Egypt. On the third day, that sacrifice, that great sacrifice was complete, just like after they went into the wilderness for three days and made sacrifices to God over the, the abomination of Egypt. On that third day, Christ resurrected. And on that third day, they parted the Red Sea and walked over to the other side just like Christ did from Abraham's bosom into heaven. All of these things are correlations of the other thing because they're telling the same story. It's a little different because it's 2,000 years before Christ, but it's the same story, and that's where we're going to begin tonight, where the Egyptian son of God, lowercase g, his firstborn, first begotten son, dies by the death angel and he's going to come out to Moses and beg him to make God take this back. And he can't. Hey, Laura, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm going crazy over here. Here we go. Let me get a drink and we'll get started. April should be along any minute. Mm, this thing is still in my way. Get out of here. Shoe fly. There we are. All right. All my stuff is out of whack, so I can't tell if it's visible. I got to wait till it shows up, which is a 10-second delay, so give me just a second. So this is a bad night for software. How are you guys doing? Are y'all having a good day so far? I hope so. Okay, everything looks good over there. So let's get started. If you got your Bibles handy, crack them open to Exodus chapter 12, verse 18. That's where we left off last night. We just got finished with the ninth plague, and we're going to start the tenth right now. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, that's at the sundown point. You shall eat unleavened bread until one and twentieth day of the month at evening. That's a twenty-first day. So from the day 14 to day 21, that's seven days. Yeah, seven days. It says it right there. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. Why? Because leaven is symbolic of sin. That's how it's used in the Bible as a symbol for sin. That's why God says, take the leaven out of the bread and eat it unleavened like a cracker. <laughs> for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Why? Because it's full of sin. That's the symbology we're working with here. This whole book is about symbols. So pay attention to how things are worded. It's very important. 
whether he be a stranger or born in the land. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you eat leaven on those seven days, if you're Israeli, you are cut off from that soul, that group of souls. Ye shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. That's the fourth time it's mentioned for emphasis. God's repeating himself because he means it. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out, take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop, that's a bitter kind of a poor man's um, gravy. It's not really gravy. It's more like a au jus. Do you know what that is? Au jus. It's like a... I'm using words. That if you don't know what au jus is, you wouldn't know what a gyro is. <laughs> so It's dipping sauce. It's bitter. How about that? Uh, hyssop. And dip it in the blood that is in its basin, and strike the door. Now, hyssop is made from a spongy-like plant of some kind. So what he's saying here is he's using it like a, like a sponge. Um, I'm losing my mind. Take two. Meat juice. There you go. <clears throat> Dip it in the blood at the basin and strike the lintel, which is the top part of the door, and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out that door of his house until morning. Don't go outside. Now, this word over here, strike, the reason he didn't use the word paint is because that word strike is the same word translated mark or sign which is the Hebrew letter Tav, if you're doing symbology. That's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's also the symbol of the cross. So they're putting a cross, a cross, and a cross, three crosses over their door. Why? Because the dark angel is going to come through there in a little while, and he's going to kill everything living, firstborn of everything living, except those doors. He's not going to go in there. For the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. So God's not alone. He's going to be there overseeing what's happening, but he's not by himself. The destroyer, the dark angel, the grim reaper, the death angel, whatever you want to call it, is there also. This is proof that that is a separate entity, and it's very, very real. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. Always practice Passover is what he's telling them. I practice Passover. I'm not Jewish, but I do it out of respect, and I only do it one day. I don't do the whole seven days. But... I always read the Bible on Passover and do the unleavened bread and drink a little bit of wine and remembrance of Christ. You don't have to do that because you're uncircumcised. If you're Jewish or if you're of the 12 tribes, then you have to do it. And if you're not doing it, you are in trouble, buddy. 
but I'm not. I'm a Gentile, so I do it out of respect. I don't judge you if you want to do it or if you don't want to do it. You can do it with me if you like on Passover when it comes around or not. However, don't take that practice lightly. It is not a light gesture. This is a very serious thing. And if you understand the full weight, the full gravity of what it symbolizes, what it's talking about, the reason it happened, and what was the product of it happening when it first happened and when it happened again when Christ was crucified, then you know this is the utmost respectful thing that you can do in worship to your Father. However, that's entirely up to you. And it shall come to pass... When ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service, do it every year, forever. You, your sons, your sons' sons, teach every generation to do it. That's what he's saying. Like it's a law. They use the word ordinance because it basically is a law. By the way, if you're wondering why I'm so amped up, it's because I was installing a bed in my bedroom and I was working on it and got carried away, and it was like 8.20 when I realized what time it was. So I had 10 minutes to get everything set up, and then something went wrong, and I was trying to fix it, and I'm all jacked up trying to get it done, and I just hadn't come back down to base level yet. That's all. I'm not on drugs. I'm just freaking out a little bit. So here we go. And then all this other stuff, these thoughts coming in, and it's, it's more than I can process and put out into words that are coherent. You're lucky I'm not doing this. You know. So, it's okay. Just relax. Take a drink. You'll be all right. I'm not crazy. Okay. Enough of that. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? What are you doing, mom and dad? Why are you why are you doing this crazy stuff every year making us eat crackers and say a bunch of weird things? Why are you doing that? When they ask, be prepared to give them an answer. That ye shall say it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head to worship. Okay, that's all exciting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. They went and did everything he told them to do, exactly how he told them to do it. Shoes on, loins girded, staff in hand, head bowed, eating quickly, and being ready. It's time to go in just a minute. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh, that son of sorry, that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. I mean, everything that was alive, 
the firstborn died. And Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in the city in Egypt. For there was not a house, not one. Well, there was not one dead. Every house was affected. Everybody lost their firstborn child, the apple of their eye, their firstborn gone. Every one of them. And he called for Moses and Aaron in the night, by the night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said and be gone and bless me also. Uh, sorry. You know, you had that chance. Nine times, as I recall. Nine times you said, bless me, and I went out and I talked to God, and he took away those, whatever you want to call them, judgments, those plagues, whatever they are. He took it away nine times. You're not going to get away with it this time. Sorry. Even when Christ was asked how many times you can ask for forgiveness, seven times, and he said no. Seven times 70. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but that's a finite number. That means you ask enough times and then go back on it. Pretty soon God's going to quit forgiving you. Won't take long. You have a lot of chances. He'll give you more chances than you're worth. But at some point, you'll stop trying because he knows you're not going to. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste for they said we'll be all dead men if they stay here any longer we might none of us survive this let them go they want to go let them go well here's the funny thing before they left all of the israelites went to their neighbor and borrowed some money all of them so when they leave they're going to take a crap ton of money with them. And they're not done yet. Well, after the firstborn, after the locusts and the lice and the boils and the blains and the all the stuff that happened, how much you think they paid just to get rid of them? Oh, you want money? Here, take some gold with you. Here, here's some gems and some jewels. and Here, here's some cattle. Get out. Let's go. Come on. Let's go quickly. And the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, clothing. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians just like in war. They took them for everything they had. When they left Egypt, they left with all the gold. That's a blessing. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. Ramesses is a place, not a man. 
I know that I said that the Pharaoh's name was Ramesses II, but this is the Ramesses the city, not the man. For, they left Ramesses and went to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men, besides children and women. 600,000 Hebrews walked out of Egypt. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt. For it was not leavened. They said it twice. Unleavened cakes. Wasn't leavened. We don't, we don't have no leaven here. Because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry or could not wait around. Neither had they prepared for themselves any victuals. They didn't bring any food with them, but they did bring enough to make bread on the way. So that's good. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. That's how long they were there, slaves, 430 years. They had been there so long they had begun to start breeding with the Egyptians. They spoke Egyptian. They were educated Egyptian. They had Egyptian jobs. <laughs> they were slaves, but, you know, indentured servitudes. My point is, is they didn't know how to be Hebrews anymore. 400 years of being an Egyptian, you kind of forget who you are is what I'm saying. If you left right now and moved to Mexico and lived there for five years and then came home, we wouldn't be able to understand a word you said even if you were speaking English because you'd have a very strong Mexican accent and all your behaviors and mannerisms would be like them. That's just the way it is. When you get around people, you develop their habits. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Let me read that again. That all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Do you remember back in Genesis when God said, let us make man in our image? And I said, well, who is he talking to? He's talking to us. We are the host because the Lord created the host and the heavens at the same time. Well, who's the host? We are, right? Didn't I say that? There you go. Scripture backs it up that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Those are the God's chosen people, the host. The 12 tribes of Israel kept as slaves, or most of them anyway. I don't know if all of them are there, but a lot of them are for sure. that mean that the Egyptians are not part of the host? Yeah, they're the six-day creation. Remember that the Adamic race was created on the eighth day, not the sixth day. All mankind was created on the sixth day, but the Adamic race of which the 12 tribes will come is a different creation, right? So we're the host if you're part of the 12 tribes. If you're not, then you're of the six-day creation. All right, I hope that makes sense. Everybody having a good time? Am I making sense? All right, let's go. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. That means forever. 
And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof, but every man's servant that is bought for money. When thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. That means once he becomes part of the family. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Their slave is part of the family. That's a little different than the slaves that we learn about today. That's what I mean when I say that slavery was there, but it was different. So no, God does not endorse slavery, nor did he ever tell anybody to have slaves. That's just what men do. And he said, if you're going to have slaves, you have to do it right. And the way you do that is after so many years, you free them and make sure they have a lineage, make sure they have a home to go to, make sure they have money when they leave. You keep them for a certain number of years and you agree upon that number of years because indentured servitude, that means they're willing to be your slave, like a servant. <coughs> and while they're your slave, you make them part of your family. You have them to be circumcised. You teach them the word of God. You include them in your goings and comings. That's what he's saying here. If you bought a slave for money, once he's been circumcised, then he should participate in the Passover, which is specifically for the 12 tribes, not the Gentiles. So if that slave comes in, or Goya, as they would call him, then you become part of that family. You are adopted in. Just like when you accept Christ into your heart, you become adopted into his family. It's the same thing, same principle. And we are adopted into Christ. We're not blood relatives, but we are adopted. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. If they're not part of your family, they shouldn't participate. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All right, here's the thing. What he's saying is every family kills one lamb. One lamb should feed a family of four. Let's just say that, right? Or however many the average family was back then. If you have more than four, then you kill two lambs. But only kill enough to feed who's in your house, right? You're not supposed to take leftovers over to the neighbor's house or carry it off for lunch tomorrow. Matter of fact, you're not even supposed to leave leftovers until morning. Whatever you don't consume on Passover is to be burned with fire until it's gone. And then he also says, also, you don't break the bone. That means you don't, you're not eating the marrow out of the bone. Leave the bone intact and just eat the meat quickly. Earlier... Yesterday, we read that when you cook the lamb, you cook the legs and the head with it. So you don't even part it out. You're, not, you're doing this in a hurry. You're not trying to do it right. You're just trying to get it done. So you don't even take the head off. You cook the whole thing. All right. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it, meaning the ordinance. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord. If a stranger happens to come and he, he respectfully keeps this Passover with you, let all his males be circumcised, bring him into the family, 
and then let him come near and keep it. So if he's willing to participate out of respect, then you have to get him all of his males to be circumcised, whoever's with him, and then he could participate. It's pretty brutal, but that's the way it was in those days. <clears throat> and he shall be as one that is born in the land. He will be part of your family from now on. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof, period. No Gentiles. Sorry, we're not allowed at this time. Remember that Paul changes that when he starts teaching circumcision of the heart because it's no longer necessary to lob off flesh because now we're not in the Old Testament anymore. Lots of things have changed. Lots of people have interbred. There's a lot less straight lines. Whereas back then, a family was pure. They were a pure bloodline. There was no interbreeding. They were from, they took wives from their family. Their bloodlines were pure in those days. On up into the New Testament, there's been a lot of inbreeding going on, a lot of reaching across the aisle, as it were, and now people are a lot less pure than they used to be. Most people are Gentiles now. Even Jews are getting Gentile. So then circumcision of the heart became the way of things, not necessarily of the flesh. Both work is what I'm saying. Interesting about the bones in the head. Yeah, isn't it? Well, remember, the whole idea is to do it in a hurry because the death angel is outside and you're supposed to eat this meal so that you'll be full and, you know, be able to travel. So you're supposed to be fully dressed, shoes on, loins girded, staff in hand, head down, and eat in haste and cook unleavened bread because it's quick. It takes time to raise yeast. You need that bread done now. So you cook it unleavened like a like a flatbread or a cracker or something or, or a pancake, and you eat it fast. You don't even have wine with it, you know. He says you use just bitter herbs. Don't even use anything that you have to cook slowly like savory stuff. Cook it fast. Get it done. And when you put the lamb in, legs and head and all, don't even separate the body. Just cook, put, you know, skin it and cook it right now. So, yeah, that is pretty interesting. But just think while you're in there in the kitchen cooking away, the death angel is outside killing the firstborn of everybody around you. That must be pretty intimidating, I would think. I would be a little upset. I would be a little bit in a hurry, you know. And I'd, you know, definitely have one eye on the door. If not for the death angel, but anybody streaming in trying to get away from him. Just imagine how dangerous the people outside were when they knew the death angel was occurring. Hey, April, there you are. How are you? Sorry I'm late. Happy Halloween. There you go. Let me find my place. One law shall be to him that is home-born and to the stranger that sojourneth among you. One law. When he becomes part of the family, he's under that law. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. They were obedient back then. They didn't last, though. 
And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. There were thousands of them, 600,000 of them to be exact. Men, and that's not in counting women and children and cattle and sheep and asses and all the other things that they had. <coughs> and gold, lots and lots of gold. <clears throat> you ever see that uh, Lord of the Rings thing that's on TV right now? That's what they look like coming out of there. A big caravan of people carrying stuff all over them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb, or the matrix, among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. You dedicate that child to God, the firstborn. You sanctify that child in the favor of God, in the service of God every time. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. Remember that. For seven days, from the 14th to the 21st, no leaven. Don't even pretend about sin for seven days. Give God God's due at least once a year is what they're saying. And this day came you out in the month Abib. Hmm. That's interesting. Let's look that up because from what I understand, the month of April is Nisan. Let's find out. Um, I need a browser. Hold on. Let's take this one. The first month of the ancient Hebrew calendar corresponding to Nisan. It is the month of Nisan. See the months of the principal calendar table. Let's see. Hebrew calendar months. The months go as uh, from January would be Tishri, Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevet, Shavat, Adar, Nisan, which is April, Er, Sivan, Tammuz, which is also coincidentally the little pan goat thingy, the little demon, Tammuz, that's interesting that it's named that. Av and Elul, Elul. Okay, so 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yep, they're all there. And the seventh month of our calendar is the first month of theirs. So their calendar starts on April. So it would be uh, Nisan, Er, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Elul, Tishri, Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevet, Shavat, and Adar. Adar would be the last month. So there you have it, sports fans. Now we know, and knowing is half of the battle. So I'm guessing Abib is a different language for some reason. The month Abib is not mentioned 
in the Hebrew calendar. It's not one of them. So why he calls it that, I'm not sure other than a language thing. So there you go. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. See, I knew they were from somewhere. There they are. Which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey that shalt keep this service. Thou shalt keep this service in this month, the month of Abib. Maybe Abib means something. Let me go look that up. First month of the ancient Hebrew calendar corresponding to Misan, first known use of Abib. Nope, it does not tell me what it means. I wonder if there's a specific definition. Abib, literally, ear of grain, that's what it means, ear of grain, okay. I'm looking up the word Canaan now. It has a meaning, and I can't remember what it is. I think it means something like... Uh, um. What is the meaning of Canaan? It's a region between the River Jordan and the Mediterranean corresponding roughly to Israel, the promised land of the Israelites. What does the meaning mean, though? Land of promise. That's not it. Anyway, it's not important. Okay, let's move on. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service this month. Seven days Thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast unto the Lord. Thank you, Alpine. Abib means literally an ear of grain. Appreciate that. Can you look while I'm reading and see what the word Canaan means? Because it has a meaning that's very apropos to the land that they're moving on to, and I can't remember what it is one of those things I learned years ago and it just slipped my mind. So if you can find that, I'd appreciate it. And thank you. By the way, y'all, 
she lived in Israel for a while, so when I ask her these questions, it's because she's the one who has the authority on it, not me. I'm just a learner. She was there, so she might know more than me in this area. So go, Lily. Ha-ha! <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee. Neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. Shouldn't even be in your house. Seems like he's beleaguering the point, right? Remember that leaven is symbolic of sin, which is why he keeps hammering it into their heads. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sit. That's what he's doing with this unleavened bread talk. And thou shalt show thy son in that day. Show your child, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. That's why we do this, son. When you ask, that's why we do it. And it shall be for a sign unto thee. There's that word sign, the mark, or tov, the cross, unto thee upon the land, upon thine hand. It should be a sign upon the hand for a memorial between thine eyes, and the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Now let's look at that symbolism. It shall be a sign for thee upon thy hand. Which hand? The right hand. That's the yod. That's the name of God. The right hand, the power, the strength. And for a memorial between thine eyes. What's between your eyes? Anybody know? April, what's between your eyes? Do you know? I'll give you a hint. I'm not talking about your forehead. It's your brain, baby. Set a memorial up in your head, in your brain, between your eyes, right here. Never forget is what he's saying. Always remember the meaning of what's happening here. And the Lord's law be in your mouth. What's the Lord's law? The Ten Commandments. That's what it is. Always be repeating it until you have it memorized. And then do it. See how that works? Do the thing you've memorized with your mouth. Speak the law is what he's saying. That's what the symbology is saying here. Your brain and then your nose. Yeah, he's not talking about your nose. That's between your eyes and your mouth. But what's between your eyes is your brain. Right here. Or your third eye. Could be that. He might be telling you to trip out and see the world and the dolphins in space, baby. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. That's every year in April. That's the spring equinox. That's the season. Spring. So on the 14th day at sundown, every year you begin this uh, seven days of unleavened bread and this Passover dinner. And then on the seventh day, you have a feast to the Lord. 
That's the 21st. So the 14th and the 21st, you have this big feast. The first as a Passover, and the second or the latter as uh, praising the Lord. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he sware unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix. That means all that's born, firstborn. Meaning opening the matrix means the first time you have a child or, you know, we would call it uh, breaking the hymen. Um, the first time you're opened and your child, your water breaks, that's opening the matrix. That's what that words mean. those words mean. So when you get to the land of Canaan, every firstborn you give it, you set that child aside for the Lord. That's the Lord's child. That that child is to live in service of the Lord forever. He don't have a say. And every firstling or firstborn that cometh of a beast which thou hast, all the males shall be the Lord's. That's the child you sacrifice from the beast. Goes to God. Firstborn goes to God every time. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with the lamb. That means you sacrifice the ass as a peace offering, and then you sacrifice the lamb as a wave offering, I think. I think that's how that works. If thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. Mm, that means if it's unredeemable or if it's blemished, or if you just don't want to do it, then you must break its neck. Either way, it can't live. It goes to God, firstborn. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. That means you sacrifice a lamb and you give that child to God, firstborn of every household from now on, if you're Hebrew. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what is this? Why are you making me, the firstborn, be in service of God? Why are you doing all of these weird things? What is this that thou shalt say unto him by the strength of the hand of the Lord? He brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage, and it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. Does that sound familiar to you? Because Christ redeemed us all, firstborn or not, when he died, when he became the sacrificial lamb to be the redeemer, to be the sacrifice of all sacrifices for time of memorial. When he died on the cross, that was the price he paid for your freedom, which is why you should worship him, which is why he's the son of God, which is why he is almighty father from now and forever. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes. For by strength 
of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. They didn't want that to happen. So he sent them through the Philistines. No, he did not send them through the Philistines because there was war in the Philistine area. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. This word wilderness means desert, by the way. It does not mean woods. So so that you know, the Red Sea is in a desert area. And we're also going towards Arabia, not towards where the Philistines are. And the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Remember Joseph? Joseph was the man who basically ran Egypt for a while when the Pharaoh's father was in charge. This new Pharaoh didn't know Joseph from Adam and didn't care, and didn't didn't care that he had the Pharaoh's ring, and didn't care that he had the power, because this new Pharaoh wanted the power. I'm the Pharaoh. You don't get the power. So Joseph died eventually, uh, not no longer powerful. And Moses kept Joseph's bones. In fact, they used to pray over those bones and whisper hushed tones because they didn't really know what they were doing. But they would talk about this forbidden name. And when Moses had made his transition from uh, Egyptian to uh, Hebrew, and he was out in the wilderness, and he come upon this burning bush in this cave, and the burning bush told him that he needed to go let his people out of Egypt, lead them out. And he said, "I'm, I'm nobody. Why would they even listen to me? Who should I even say sent me? And the bush said, tell them, I am that I am. That's the Alpha and the Omega. In Hebrew, it's the Aleph and the Tav. In English, it's the A and the Z. Yeah, there you go. That is the name of God. Yud, Hey Vav, Hey. I am that I am. Or Yahweh. That's how they knew to follow him because those little hushed tones, whispering praises that they were doing over the bones of Joseph were talking about that forbidden name that nobody knew, that nobody dare speak out loud. And when he said it, they all tripped out because they didn't even know anybody knew that name because nobody ever said it. So it was like proof to them that they should listen to him, and they did. Keep in mind... He grew up as a the brother of that Pharaoh that's in charge now, and they saw that all their lives. So he was probably over them at one point, and then he comes back trying to lead them out. I'd be suspicious too. So that's why that was necessary, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you, said Joseph to the Israelites before he died. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness, right on the edge of the desert. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of a cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine walking in the night towards a tornado of fire? that you never seem to reach. It's always in front of you. But you can see a big fire swirl right in front of you like a pillar all night long, light up the whole land around you. That must have been amazing to see. And during the day, smoldering smoke in the same pillar. Wow. Imagine everybody around there seeing that too, people that aren't privy to what's going on in Egypt or in the Israelites, but just some random dude over there plowing his field and looks up and sees this pillar of smoke off in the distance. That must have freaked everybody out. Anyway, and the Lord, I read that. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, 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 Pihahiroth. Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, over against Balzaphon, before it shall, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. So before you get to the city of Balzaphon, you make a camp by the ocean. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in. Yeah, that's what he would say. And he's also going to get antsy and start following them too. Because he did let them go, but now he's changing his mind. He wants them back. Because he realizes as they go, hey, they got all my money, and the plagues destroyed all of our crops and cattle, so we literally will never recover from this. Maybe we should go get our workforce as they leave and bring them back so we can make some money. I'll have you know that Egypt never did recover. When that Pharaoh and his army, the power of the most powerful country in the world, when they succumb to the ocean as it caved in around them and they all perished there in the Red Sea, that was the final blow to the world power known as Egypt and it never was the same again. Then there was a power vacuum, nobody to lead Egypt, so all these neighboring countries swooped in and started parting the place out until there was nothing left. That's where the Ptolemies come in and all these other pharaohs that aren't Egyptian that you read about in history, like Cleopatra. She, she may have had some Egyptian blood in her, but she was more closer to the Ptolemy than she was the Egyptians. Point being... Egypt was on a downward spiral from then on. And now the only thing that they make money on is tourism. 
they're a very poor country now, and they never have recovered. And the people that are in Egypt are not the people that are on the walls in Egypt. You go look at those people, they don't look nothing like the people on the walls. Why? Because those people all died out or got bred out. They don't exist anymore. They just aren't there anymore. That's what happens when you go against God. <clears throat> and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, yeah, once again, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Canaan, son of Ham or southern Israel. Thank you. Yeah, it has to do with Ham. Maybe it's Ham's suffering or Ham's sorrow or something like that. Canaan. Son of Ham. Canaan is, uh, we're talking about the place, but I, I'm asking specifically what does the word, have? it has a meaning, that word. You know, like all the names have meanings, and I just can't remember what it is. I've been thinking about it since I said it, and I just can't remember. Let's go a couple more. And it was told the king of Egypt, that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants were turned against the people and they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Why did we let our workforce just walk out of here with all our money? Why did we do that? Uh, do you forget about all the death and destruction in the past few days? Hmm. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. All the people in Egypt went with Pharaoh, leaving the city empty, by the way. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. I mean, they had it all. They had all the money. Damn pork. Ha ha. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamped by the sea beside Pihaharoth. Before Baal-Zephon. This word Baal-Zephon, that's an interesting word. The first part of that word is Baal, which is the worship of the demon that's responsible for child sacrifice. That's who Baal is. And the word Zephon has a meaning too, but I can't remember what that is. But Baal is kind of important there. Notice where they're at. It's a strategic location. And if, um, if you were to look on Google Earth and look, follow the Red Sea out to the beach, there's this big uh, part of the, the Red Sea there. And you can see from like, there's like a mountain range and a little thin, narrow passageway up to a big beach. And the beach is like big enough to hold millions of people. 
and uh, there's a couple of guard shacks there now that the Romans installed at some point. But this little beach is where they were. And the Rome, I mean, the uh, Egyptians are coming down the, that little path behind them, and there's nowhere to go. There's a mountain range to the water here, and there's a mountain range to the water here, and then there's an ocean here, and that little path behind them. That's the only way to go. So literally, they're trapped. They can't go anywhere. And the Egyptians are barreling down that path thinking they got them. They're probably up on top of the mountains too. They are surrounding Israel at this moment. And Pharaoh thinks he's got them. We're about to tear them apart right now. This is the end of all this. They're either coming back to Egypt with me or I'm going to kill them all right here on this beach. Coincidentally, on the other side of the beach, on the other side of the water, is Arabia. Not Yom Suf down there where the, re, the, the Sea of Reeds, like they talk about in, in uh, history. The little pond that's got the reeds, and they say that's where they were. Mm -mm. No, no. The Bible clearly says they go to Arabia. I'll show you here in a minute. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, Help us, help us. We're on a beach and we can't go anywhere. What are we going to do? Oh, Lord. I don't know why I'm getting crazy over here. Anyway, they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? We managed to survive all those plagues, and now we're going to die on this beach with you? How dare you? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? They ain't even got where they're going yet, and they're already complaining whining about being struck, stuck. We're going to die on this beach. How could you do this to us? You took us out of a safe Egypt where we were slaves. Yeah, but you're free now. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? Didn't we tell you we didn't want to go, Moses? You made us do it. Now we're here, and now they're coming to kill us. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Imagine that. Imagine the gall of these people. The Lord just freed them. All this stuff just happened yesterday. And they're on the beach whining because they're scared because they can see the Egyptians coming. But they just saw God perform 10 miracles. And then they were, they, they were led out of Egypt carrying all the gold. And that ain't enough to make them think God can handle these Egyptians. So they whine about it. That's the reason God and man have a problem right there. That's it in a nutshell because man has no faith in himself or in his father. Uh, 
uh, that place that you're talking about, Alpine, there's also a pillar there that was erected by David's son, who was king, Solomon. And there's one on each side. The one on the Arabian side has been knocked down. It's there, but it's in pieces on the side of the road. But the one that's on the Egypt side is standing erect still to this day. And if you look closely, you can find it there. And it's got lettering on the side that says this place was where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And we erected this pillar in the name of Solomon or Solomon had it done. Something like Solomon's name is on it. And it's there to this day. And Moses, just like Christ, said to the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Be still and know that I am the Lord. That's what's being said here. Which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. They don't exist anymore. Watch the Lord do his handiwork as they come down that little path. You just be still right there and you watch what our Father does to protect us. He's got it handled. Fear not and be still and know the power of Almighty God. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You don't have to do a thing. God's got this fight. And he'll win. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Huh? Say what now? There's an ocean there. How are we going to go forward, God? There's kind of something in the way. Hmm. Lift up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And Moses said, Huh? How am I supposed to divide the sea, God? I'm the dude. You're the God. You divide the sea. Lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, Moses. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Okay. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know while they're drowning that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of the Israelites. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these so that one came not near to the other all night. So now there's a literal wall of fire between Israel and Egypt. They literally can't attack them. 
so they get to rest all night and in the morning. And Moses said unto the, oh, sorry. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea like, like Charlton Heston. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong eastern wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And Israel, the children of Israel, went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, just like God said they could. And I bet they were high-footing it too, buddy, because if I were standing in the middle of the ocean looking at a wall on either side of me of water, I would not be waiting around to see how long it's going to stay there. I'd be moving my tail. So I bet they were high-stepping it. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left hand. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. Even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and his army, and all the people that were with him, by the way, which was everybody in Egypt. Well, in that city, not all of Egypt, but in that place, which would be Ramesses, the city. And it came to pass... That in the morning, watch the Lord. Sorry. And it came to pass in the morning, watch. There should be a comma there. The Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. Now they're walking, by the way. As you could imagine, they're riding horses along the bottom of the ocean basically which is sand and rocks so i would imagine that the uh roads aren't too clear across the ocean there and their chariot wheels fell off so now they're having to walk and drag horses and chariots behind them but they're determined they're going to get over there and kill them israelis buddy they're walking head on they drave them heavily they were driving the horses trying to get them out so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, but there was no hope. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Translation, gurgle, 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 spit, gurgle. They're dead, all of them. They drown right there in the midst of that water. Now, if you've ever seen the location where they crossed it's quite a long ways. I forget exactly how far, but it's something like three miles across. And there's a shelf right there in that spot. The water is like 9,000 feet deep or something. But there's a spot where the water's only about 100 feet deep. And that's where they crossed at. And there's, you can see it on topographical maps that there's actually a high place in the ocean where they crossed at. And it's higher than the rest of the waters by a lot. I mean, it's very deep there. 
And when that water returned, it just sucked them all in. They're gone. Just the water's calm. There's nothing. No bubbles or nothing. They're dead. All of them. Pharaoh and his whole army. And that's it. That's all she wrote. Egypt never recovered. That was the end of the height of the power of the golden era of Egypt. It's over. It'll never be the same. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. They were all gone. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore as they washed up. And Israel saw the great work of the Lord which he had done upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You better believe they believed him because nobody can do what he did. He is the one and only high God. He is the most high. There are no gods before him. Commandment number one. There shall be no other gods before me. I am the Lord thy God. I will be your God and you will be my people, says Father. That's how it is. That's what this whole book is about. That's the meaning of everything we speak about every time we come here. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. I want you to see the majesty. I want you to see the power. I want you to feel and experience the wisdom and the love that comes from the Father who created you. And I want you to give a little of it back. But that's entirely up to you. I'm not trying to save you. I'm just trying to educate you if you are not already educated. And if you are, I'm trying to reaffirm what you already know to be true. And that is, you are a product of the creator. And there's only one way that that can be justified. And that is if you return your obeisance to the creator who made you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we're going to stop for today. We will pick up to uh, Sunday, next Sunday, on chapter 15, verse 1. What a fantastic powerful, enlightening book this was so far. I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm on the edge of my seat, and I hope you are too. And I hope that this has inspired your soul to want more, to, to crave the answers that are there in those pages. And I want you to dig a little deeper. Maybe read a little bit without me. Come on Sunday and tell me something I don't know. That would be lovely. I'm excited for that. But also... I'd pretty much really, really like for you to do me a favor. Hit that subscribe button and press the bell icon so you get notifications of when I'm going to be online when my new videos drop. Hit the like button. It's free. It's effortless. It's right in front of you. It helps us with the algorithms and it helps us get recommended to other people. Won't you do that? 
Share this video with somebody you love. Better yet, share it with somebody you don't love. Bring them into our family. Make them part of the fold. Be part of their solutions, not part of their problems. Leave comments down below and let me know what you're thinking about. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform with me, drink my Kool-Aid. Make your own Kool-Aid as long as you're thinking critical. That's what I want. Critical thought coming from that brain of yours. And hey... If you love the Word of God and you can see the value in what I'm trying to create, or if you feel led to send your tithes, offerings, or love offerings where you are taught, or if you'd just like to help out, help me reach out and find more people to bring to God, you can do that. You can support my work by going to paypal.me slash Jake Johnson Band, or if you're a Cash App user, you can go to dollar sign Jake Johnson Band. Every little bit helps. It's a win-win. It's a blessing for me. It's a blessing for you, too, because we live in a reciprocal universe. You know, ask, and you shall be answered. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Give, and you shall receive. That's how it works. And I will do everything in my power to be worthy of your support. Also, we are now on Rumble, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, uh, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Republic, anywhere that uh, podcasts are downloaded, that's where we are. So go check us out. Go over to Rumble and subscribe to that channel and help us build up that platform so we have a backup in case YouTube turns on us. And now I will round out this video and take your questions and comments or criticisms or catharsis or anything else that starts with a C. Hmm. But first, I must drink. Mm. By the second temple period, 530 B.C. to 70 A.D., Canaanite in the Hebrew language had come to be not an ethnic designation so much as a general Synonym for merchant. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for finding that for me. You are amazing. And such a beautiful little lily. Thanks. The thought-provoking and memory-building reading. Hey, I would have given anything to be able to be over there at that period in time and see what you saw. I would love to see the Holy Land. I would love to see Egypt. I would love to see Scotland, for that matter. But, alas, it's a war-torn environment now, and uh, probably not a good idea to go there. Anyway. Mm, interesting. Solomon's Pillar. Oh, that's Dahab. Sorry. That's Dahab. Camped there many times. It was Israel, but it's Egypt now. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed researching it and listening to you too. Thank you. I enjoyed you listening to me too. Thanks, Jake, for the Bible study. I love you all very much. Please don't forget to hit that like button. We love you all. True. And by the way, if you're feeling froggy, you can. DJ, now I lay That's my theme song. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. I've been a good doggy. If I die before I Put 
Kibbles and kibbles and bits and my mold. My best friend. I'm your best friend. Say it loud, say it proud, say it like you mean it. If I die before I what, what? Mm-hmm. There's enough of that. All right. It's so amazing over there. I bet it is. I would love to go looking through all the little things that I've read about and see it with my own eyes rather than imagining it. Uh and seeing pictures. I've seen pictures, but I'm sure that the real sight doesn't do the pictures any justice, or vice versa, rather. I would love it, but I don't think I'm ever going to get the opportunity to do physical research. But I've done plenty, plenty, plenty. Feed Jake and Lily, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. I do like that name. I'm going to go ahead and head... Say good night to everyone. I got to get up early in the morning. So do I. I'm very tired. Don't forget to feed Jake. I'll send some love your way, Jake. Much love. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate you so much. And I love you with all my heart. And God bless you and those pretty babies and Kevin too. And I know he will because you have made it your mission to bless me. I know that you've done that. You've made a commitment to it. And I'm here to tell you that God responds to that. And when you make a commitment to his people, he makes a commitment to you. And that's something that you should know in your heart and sleep easy tonight knowing he's got you, babe. I promise you that. I give you my word on it. So go rest easy. Not on a high mountaintop, but, you know, maybe on your side. (laughs) Your knowledge is immense. Oh, thank you. What a compliment. Appreciate that, Alpine. means a lot. I'm really not that smart. I'm just observant. Love to all and to all a good night. Well, it ain't time just yet. Give me five more minutes. Oh, no, it's five minutes past the hour. Wow, time is flying. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Thank you for that compliment. That touched my heart and made my whole day. I appreciate that. It really makes me feel like I've done something when people notice the work that I do because most people don't notice. I go unnoticed a lot, so thank you for that. It means a lot. And uh, I really am doing it out of love, and I really am trying to do something good with the rest of my life. I don't have much life left. I got more behind me than I have in front of me, but I'm trying to do something right. And I hope that it helps somebody. And even if it just touches one person, I feel like I did the right thing. And uh, I'll be able to rest easy when my time comes. So thank you for noticing. That means I'm going to try extra hard next week, by the way. Because just like the Lord, I respond also to kindness. And when you tickle my little ego... I get really into it, and I go to work. (laughs) But uh, thank you guys for being such a great audience tonight. You have fantastic thoughts and questions, and keep it going, and and you make me feel like I got somebody paying attention while I'm teaching, so it means a lot. And thank you for that. And uh, I want you to do me a favor. When you go out into the world, be nice to somebody. Just be nice. That's all you got to do. Just go out of your way 
make an effort to find somebody to be nice to. I don't care what you do. I don't care if it costs anything. Smile at a stranger. Shake a hand. Talk to an old man that looks like he's been by himself too long. Help an old lady cross the street. Buy a bum a sandwich. I don't care what you do. Just be nice. And I promise you, with all my heart, I promise, it'll open doors you never knew even existed. It will change your life from the inside out. It will make you a different human being just by being nice, by making the effort to go that far. And you'll begin to shine, and everybody will notice it. And somebody might even say something about it. They'll be like, hey, are you on a diet? Are you on drugs again? What's up? You're shining over there. It's kind of bright. I kind of want some of what you got. There'll be somebody going, I want what she's having. That's a deep cut there. But seriously, really, it will change your life. And I want that for you. I do. I want you to find what you're looking for. Or even if you don't know you're looking for it, I want you to realize you're looking for it and then find it. Everybody's looking for it. Everybody wants love. Everybody wants acceptance. Everybody wants to know they're going to go to heaven. Even atheists. They just don't know they know it or want it. Anyway, thanks for taking care of me tonight. Thanks for putting up with my crazy disembodied thoughts and me trying to put them into words that I can't even barely grasp myself. Thank you for that, and uh, thank you for being here. As long as you're here, I will be here for perpetuity. And until then, I got to get up early too, so have a great night. Happy Halloween, by the way. And uh, eat lots of candy. Beat up some fat kids. You know, have some fun. But get back to, to work in the morning. Shine on, Cray Diamond. <laughs> shine on, shine on, shine on. Have a good night. I love you guys from the bottom of my heart. I love you, Drew. Sleep well. God bless you and your families. Thanks for watching.